Hey there, and welcome to another fortnightly episode of War Starts at Midnight. I'm Chris Gallagher. And I'm Jacob Graves. On today's show, we're counting down our top films of 2016. Then in special features, we'll dole out some arbitrary accolades at the second annual Blimpy Awards ceremony. Plus, I've got a recap of week eight of the Midnight Warrior Fantasy Movie League. And as always, we'll wrap up the show with some really rad recommendations. But first... Midnight Warriors, we'd like to begin this 2016 recap episode by looking not to the past, but to the future, with a brief look at our most anticipated films of 2017. So Jake and I have each picked uh, the film that we're most looking forward to. Before we get there, Jake, let's look at some of the films that are coming out on the horizon over the next 11 months. What do you say? Uh, I don't know why we're bothering this. We both know that um, Nomeo and Juliet Sherlock Gnomes is coming out next year. So there's really no point to list other things. I forgot about that movie. That's another fake movie. Um, <laughs> first, first up, we're going to go chronologically as far as we can. First up, we've got coming out in February, Get Out, which is directed by Jordan Peele of Keen Peele fame. But this is not a comedy film. This is actually a sort of straight psychological uh, sort of horror film. Um, trailer's already out. Check it out. It looks pretty good. In March, we're going to have Song to Song by director Terrence Malick with what I assume is the best cast of the year, featuring Ryan Gosling, Christian Bale, Rooney Mara, Kate Blanchett, Natalie Portman, Michael Fassbender, Val Kilmer, and Benicio Del Toro. Oh, wait, did I just say Val Kilmer? <laughs> you did say Val Kilmer. We'll see how much he's in this. We'll see how much any of these people are actually in this film. Um, this is one, I mean, he's been working on several projects sort of concurrently for several, several years. This is one that Malik's been working on for at least a few years. Uh, we'll, we'll see, like, it's supposed to be sort of starring Bale and Gosling, but who knows? Is it, is it a Batman off? <laughs> it's a Batman off. It's a Batman off where they play it South by Southwest. Hmm. Okay, coming up next in June, we've got Wonder Woman, directed by Patty Jenkins. Um, it's a Wonder Woman movie. Wonder Woman was the best thing, by far the best thing, of Batman v Superman. So I'm pretty excited about this one. In July, we have Christopher Nolan's new film, Dunkirk, of what I'm assuming all of our listeners have seen the trailer for already. If not, are you really a movie fan? <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping Dunkirk is good, but I was a little uh, disappointed by Interstellar, so we will see. Uh, we differ on that movie. Do we? We'll have to talk about that at another time. Mm -hmm. um, then coming up in October, we've got Blade Runner 2049, directed by Denis Villeneuve. Um, another Ryan Gosling film, also starring Harrison Ford. Um, this is a sequel to the original Ridley Scott Blade Runner that I'm still a little apprehensive about, but I like all involved parties, so we'll see what happens. I'm holding out for the four different version box set that will come out in 2049. Inevitably, yeah. Yes. And then we've got a slew of films that don't have release dates yet. They're to be determined, but um, we're still excited about them. First up, we've got Annihilation, directed by Alex Garland, who did the wonderful Ex Machina from a couple years ago. Um, this is an adaptation of the Jeff Vandermeer uh, Southern Reach novel, which is like a YA series. Um, and it sounds, both sounds and looks based on some behind-the-scenes photos that have been released. Uh, sort of, it, it has a real Tarkovsky feel to it, or more specifically, a real uh, stalker feel to it. And this stars Natalie Portman, Oscar Isaac, and Jennifer Jason Lee. So um, I loved what he did with Ex Machina. 
I'm intrigued to see what he does here. And then we've also got The Glass Castle coming out from director Dustin Credden. He's reuniting with Brie Larson on this one. Um, they teamed up on Short Term 12, which was sort of her breakout role. It also stars uh, Woody Harrelson and Naomi Watts as her parents. That's all I really know about it, but that's enough to get me excited. Also in 2017, we'll have The Lobster's Yorgos Lanthimos reunited with Colin Farrell in The Killing of a Chinese Deer, a, a sacred bookie, a killing of a killing of a sacred deer. Whew. Yeah, sticking with the animal theme there. That's about all I know about it. Other than, I mean, the fact that it's Yorgos Lanthimos and Colin Farrell back together again. I'm I'm excited about this one. Uh, I'm assuming that uh, John C. Riley got turned into a deer, and that's how he's featured in this film. <laughs> but we'll have to find out. It's a sequel. Yeah, yeah. And also next year, from Duncan Jones, who did The Spectacular Moon and the, for some reason, Warcraft, uh, a film called Mute, which will be distributed by Netflix and is supposed to be a spiritual sequel to the previously aforementioned Moon. Yeah, this one stars Alexander Skarsgård, and he plays a mute bartender in 2052 Berlin. So, um, I don't know enough to. I mean, the fact the fact that Duncan Jones is attached, even though he he may have may have directed World of Warcraft, I'm I'm intrigued. I didn't see Warcraft, but the fact that Duncan Jones directed it makes me want to. I guess. <laughs> I mean, if it shows up on HBO, I'll see it. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, and then we've got rounding out our TBDs. We've got three that I, I know next to nothing about, but would like to highlight. Uh, I don't even know how to pronounce this. Akja, I think. It's the new Bong Joon-ho movie. That's about all I need to know. Um, most recent film, I believe, is Snowpiercer. Um, I, I think this is another South Korean film, so going back to his, his home country, but distributed by Netflix once again. So um, probably one that we'll see popping up to stream sometime in the coming year. Then we've also got uh, Darren Aronofsky has a new film coming out called Mother. That's about all I know. And then Paul Thomas Anderson has an untitled project, the untitled Paul, Paul Thomas Anderson movie coming out. And that is all I know, but that's enough to get me excited. So are you ready to talk about the films that we are really excited about? I am, Jake. I am. And I think I think there's one that we sort of left out up top that we're both pretty excited about. So let's let's discuss that one here first. Nomeo and Ju- oh, it, it, <laughs> we no we already we already we covered that one. Oh, that one's oh good. sorry. Nah, I guess it's that uh, that outer space movie. I I am referring, of course, to Star Wars Episode Eight, directed by Ryan Johnson. Um, just the fact that Ryan Johnson is directing this is enough to get me giddy. Um, I hope he does great things with it because, as I've said before, this is if if there's going to be a Star Wars film that utterly utterly decimates me in uh my overhyped anticipation this is going to be the one yeah I'm, i would n- i never get super excited for star wars films and this is the one that i'm like i can't wait to see this one yeah there's just so much i mean he makes so much sense as someone to come in and sort of play with convention and also expand it at the same time if i mean if you've seen brick um, or I mean, even Looper and Brothers Bloom as well. Um, but Brick is is still my favorite. His his debut film. He just he's very smart at knowing what the rules are and knowing how to kind of expand them. Also, but uh, this you know seemed like too obvious of a pick, so we decided to leave it aside and pick two other films for our most anticipated of the year. I, I don't know, Chris, uh, when you're talking about obvious, if if longtime listeners of the podcast can't guess my number one, uh, maybe they're not paying attention because it is <laughs> it is Edgar Wright's Baby Driver, um, which is not related to Baby's Day Out. Or maybe it is. It's Edgar Wright. We really don't know. I assume he's taking that Baby's Day Out genre and flipping it on its head. It's actually the kid who is in Baby's Day Out 
is all grown up. I see. And now he's a wheel man. This is one of those films that I'm actively avoiding all information about, like I do with every Edgar Wright film. I know yeah. that I want to see it. I don't need to be persuaded. I don't want to see a trailer. I don't want to see a poster. I don't want to see stills. I don't want to read articles about it. I want to go sit down and have the perfect cinematic experience. Yeah. Which same. hopefully I will on August 11th, 2017, when this drops to theaters. But realistically, that'll be, you know, New York, L.A. and nowhere near me. Well, we'll see what happens. It, we'll see. It could be wide by then. We'll Fingers see. crossed for a wide release because a lot of his films have those good cult followings and uh, people want to see his work. Maybe that's yeah. just me. I, I live in an echo chamber of just Edgar Wright info. So. <laughs> this, I mean, but this could be a great way to wrap up the summer, too. That's what I'm hoping for. And the aforementioned Ryan Johnson has already seen a cut of it and has already proclaimed that it might be his favorite film of 2017. They, they are my best director bromance. <laughs> it's so and it's so great to see them like interacting on twitter it, it really is so so chris uh are you ready to announce that you're also excited for baby driver i am excited for for baby driver but there's another movie that i'm even more excited for and i i'm afraid like it's going to be crickets when i say this i know it's going to be cr crickets when i say this but i don't even care it is you were never really here directed by lynn ramsey and it doesn't have a release date yet but um, here's here's the thing. Lynn Ramsey directed one of my favorite films of, ee, I think, 2013 in We Need to Talk About Kevin. Um, she also directed Rat Catcher, which I, I have not caught up with yet. I think there's a Criterion release of it. Um, but a pretty, from what I've seen, at least a pretty bleak director. And the thing that I'm excited about is I'm excited to see her coming out with a new film because I think she was working on something before and actually like walked off set and they ended up replacing her. Or the film got canned or, or something, um, a, f a couple of years ago. So it's, it's nice to see that she has something new coming out, but to top this off, this is actually based on a Jonathan names novella. Um, if you don't know who Jonathan names is, he is a, um, he's sort of a peculiar author. Um, maybe most recently, uh, known for the HBO series bored to death. He uh, he was the creator of that show. It was about Jason Schwartzman actually played a struggling author named Jonathan Ames, who ends up becoming a basically a Craigslist detective. And uh, but this is based on a novella that he wrote that is a pretty hard boiled sort of, you know, Dashiell Hammett um, style detective story. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see what she does with it picked up by Amazon studios. So this is another one that we might see showing up streaming before the end of the year. Is this going to be as dark as something that, like, uh, we need to talk about Kevin. Um, the novella is pretty hard boiled. I mean, it is as, as funny and fun as bored to death is. This is like the exact opposite. So I think it has the potential to, to do that. There's, there's a lot of ways she can take it. I mean, and the fact that it is a novella, I, I think she can expand upon the world a little more as well. Um, I, and as I said, like, this is all I know about it. So I don't know, I don't know who's starring in it. I don't know anything. I mean, it's sort of the, the main character is sort of this, this older, heavy, uh, sort of, sort of noir character and, uh, that's, that's enough to get me like just stoked. I, it must be if that got your number one pick, although all Isle of Dogs isn't due until 2018. So, I mean, <laughs> what? that's uh, Isle, Isle of, of Dogs, the, the new stop motion Wes Anderson film. Oh, Isle of Dogs. Okay. Did you think, did you think I was making a joke I thought, about I, a dog's I, life? I, I thought you were, yeah, I thought, I thought you were making a whatever the passion of the passion dog, of the dog. Thought, yeah. because, because it got, it got pushed back or whatever. And I, yeah, no, uh, no, the that's Wes a Anderson much movie, better joke. 
The Wes Anderson movie, though, I'm I'm just I like to kind of compartmentalize his movies at the back of my brain until they are coming out, because otherwise I will die of anticipation. Yeah, the same same with me and Edgar Wright. All right, folks. Well, those are the films that we are looking forward to in the coming year. Uh, Stick around, because coming up next, we're going to be talking about our top 10 films of 2016. And we're going to be giving away the second annual Blimpy Awards. So stick around. All right, Jake, it is now time for our top 10 films of 2016. So what we're going to do here is we're going to, for sake of time, we're going to kind of breeze through our 10 through six and then focus a little more on our five through one. So let's just start out and we'll have you list off your 10 through six. Uh, Tell us what you picked and what you liked about it and why it didn't quite crack your top five. All right. So I'm going to start out with uh, the Robert Eggers, New England folktale, the Vavitch. That's how that's pronounced, right? The Vavitch. Yes, the Vavitch. Yeah, uh, I thought this could have made my top 10 if they wouldn't have had the blind girl make it to civilization and find M. Night Shyamalan in a shed. That (laughs) really ruined it for me. But other than that, I thought it was a solid film. Mm -hmm. At number nine, the still unpronounceable Denis Villeneuve's Arrival, a film that I hadn't ranked much lower until I saw Passengers and remembered that Passengers was terrible (laughs) and Arrival was actually pretty good. (laughs) Seriously, my opinion changed walking out of that theater. That's an, that's incredible. I've never heard I've never heard of a movie getting bumped up because another movie was so bad. <laughs> well, I, I was like, oh, I didn't like some of the things about Arrival, but I saw Passengers and said it was trying so much and it did so many things right. <laughs> Passengers did everything bad. <laughs> okay, what do you got at number eight? Uh, at number eight, I have David McKenzie's Hell or High Water, uh, the film that everyone keeps comparing to that Southern crime Coen Brothers classic, The Lady Killers. <laughs> that's, but that's, th- this one had that scene where he took his bank stuff to the Waffle Hut. <laughs> he took the money to the Waffle that's, Hut. That's true. That's true. I, you know, maybe there's more parallels than I thought. Mm-hmm. At number seven, I have Shane Black's Nice Guys, a movie with some great acting and stuff. Uh, Jake, you don't need to say in stuff. A movie with some great acting. There you go. Perfect. All right. Perfect. And finally, at number six, the Coen Brothers Hail Caesar, uh, a movie that would have been much higher had they removed all the boring stuff that wasn't a Channing Tatum musical number. <laughs> Wait, so you you enjoyed the Channing Tatum part or you? No, you they should have just should have just been wall to wall Channing Tatum singing. OK, uh, this, gotcha. this and they, dancing. They were and dancing. Obviously, they were right on the cusp of knowing what we needed in 2016, which was a fantastic <laughs> musical spoilers for my number one pick. But. They missed it. They they came close. They just missed it. It's yeah. not even the best classic Hollywood film of the year. Okay. I'm just going to leave it at that. 
Okay. All right, Chris, that's my 10 through six. Do you want to, uh, do you want to go now? Uh, sure. Yeah. Coming in at number 10 is a movie that I assume no one has seen. And judging by our listener numbers, I assume no one listened to this review either. It's Warren Beatty's Rules Don't Apply, starring Lily Collins and Alden Ehrenreich. Um, a really surprisingly wonderful movie that I can't wait to see again. Um, I think it's coming. This this movie got panned. It got like 20% on, on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. I don't, I don't, it's so enjoyable. It's like, it's, it definitely has flaws, but it's so much fun. I just, I just can't believe you think that's the 10th best movie of the year. Okay. Well, uh, agree to disagree. Uh, coming in at number nine is Jeremy Saulnier's green room starring Anton Yelchin, Imogen Poots, Patrick Stewart, and, Aliyah Shaket. Is that Poots? Poots. Um, this is this is a great little, and I think I think 2016 was a really good year for little genre movies. Um, and and Green Room is sort of the one that I was drawn into the most. But there was also your aforementioned Hell or High Water. Um, I guess you could maybe lump the witch in there a little bit, but maybe that that's a little a little off. The nice guys as well, really. Um, but Green Room, it's it's a great like from start to finish, a great tight little suspense movie that um constantly keeps you guessing and it and it uh moves just incrementally forward in in the small little story but never you never leave it uh really really great stuff and uh then coming in at number eight is the aforementioned hail caesar by the coen brothers um this is a movie that i didn't if you listen back to our review didn't really care for a whole lot like i was positive but with a lot of reservations um after revisiting it i it it shot way up on my list. And it's honestly probably the movie that of 2016, that for me is the most rewatchable. It's a, it's a way Homer. (laughs) Good, good going brothers. Okay. (laughs) Uh, yeah, it, it is, it is a bit of a way Homer actually though. And, um, I actually, I, I nearly this weekend watched it for a third time. Um, that's how like, it's just, it's so much fun and it's so good. And then coming in at number seven for me is Anna Rose Homer's The Fits. Um, and if you haven't seen this movie, check it out. I think it's on Amazon Prime now. Um, I, I believe so. It's, it's streaming somewhere. Um, it's only like an hour and 15 minutes. I don't want to say too much. This is, this is the type of movie that it's sort of, it's one of those, I like to call them like wavelength movies where you either you're on its wavelength or you're not. So if you start watching this in the first 15 minutes, you're not sucked in. Maybe it's not the movie for you, or maybe it's not the right time for you to watch it. But, um, hard there there really is not a false frame in this film there's hardly any dialogue it's all driven by action and just it it is just montage and cinema up on screen for about 70 some odd minutes and it's it's wonderful and the the star of this movie royalty hightower i think she's maybe about 11 or 12 something like that maybe even a little younger um just kills it uh, worth seeing for her performance alone and then rounding out at number six, I've got The Witch, directed by Robert Eggers. And this is a uh, just a, a wonderful, this is a movie that I really enjoyed at the beginning of the year. I think it came out in like February or March. Uh, upon revisiting it, realized it was a damn near perfect movie. Um, and that's, that. I, I struggled with where to put it. Ultimately, you'll see that my five through one are just films that, I mean, some of them may not be as good as The Witch, uh, it, from a, like, I think Eggers pulled off exactly what he made exactly the film that he wanted to make. Uh, the, uh, these other films just spoke to me a little more. It's hard to stick the landing on films. And that is one of them that I think really did. 
It did. Okay. See, I, I wasn't sure if you were going to say it put you off or if, yeah, no, it, it's a, and the, you know, Hunter and I got into a bit of an argument on the, uh, the review of it and about sort of where we landed with what it was trying to say. And I think the thing that's so good about it is rewatching it. I realized we were both absolutely right. It's, it is dealing in so many layers and it's not just, it's not just this one sort of viewpoint or story, but it's, it's dealing with multiple things going on at the same time. And and so you can, it has that rewatchability where you can really submerge yourself and say, okay, I'm going to look at it from this vantage point going in this time or, or this one next time, um, which is really difficult to do. And, and he does it in such a delicate way that I really admire. Is it a wavelength movie as well? Um, it might be a wavelength movie. I, the one thing I'll say is just don't, don't go in expecting to be terrified. I think the promotion for this movie was way off uh, by A24, but they were trying to get butts in seats. Um, but it's uh, it's fantastic, and it's a beautiful film, too. All right, Chris, are you ready to, to, to delve into the top five? Um, I am, but actually, before we do, let's go to a little bit of listener voicemail to hear what listener Phil's top film of the year was. Hi, this is Phil, a.k.a. School of Rock, a.k.a your awards season SML champion. And I just wanted to uh, make a comment about my top two movies of 2016. Uh, my top movie is probably Hacksaw Ridge. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was well-made. I thought there were some good performances, and I thought the story was just really important. And my second movie would be Rogue One, which I know Chris didn't love, but I thought it was exactly what it needed to be. I really enjoyed the fact that it was a standalone story. Um, you know, all the other Star Wars stories are so connected to the other ones. Uh, it was nice to just have a, a narrative that was sort of cohesive and stuck all together. And I really liked the visuals. And um, I don't know, it was just a really satisfying Star Wars movie experience as a big Star Wars fan. So those are my top two. And uh, looking forward to hearing what you guys come up with. Oh, throwing throwing down the gauntlet, claiming already already claiming the award season championship for fantasy movie league. We we could talk about that later. Um, I I will say one of those one of those two made my made my top five. Yeah. So here's the thing: one of them I didn't really enjoy, and the other one I didn't see. So uh, Phil's kind of taken me to school with this. The school of rock, you might say. Oh man, man. Uh, I, I, I will, I will tease it a little bit and say the one I saw is the one about uh, that that featured a lot of the lead up to that real big battle. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jake. Well, why don't you tell us what your number five was? Okay, um, I didn't, I didn't know if this really qualified or not, but it's a film, it's a documentary, and I and I put it at number five. It's OJ Made in America. Hundred percent qualifies. 100% qualifies, 100% on the list. One of the best documentaries I've ever seen. And I, I have a feeling we're going to be talking about it more in a little bit. Yeah, so, we might. Uh, so, so I'll, be, uh, I'll hold off for now. What about you? What did, uh, okay. what did you have at number five? Uh, my number five is La La Land, which we <sighs> just recently spoke about. And um, once it, like, like you said, I have a feeling this is going to be coming up a little bit later. And we just spoke about it ad infinitum. Um, all I can say is like I, I realized – you know, as, as I get further away from it, I realize how much I like it. And it, it actually crawled up my list from, I think it was originally at like number eight crawled up to number five because there's just, there's so many little things that are, that are amazing. Um, the, the one scene that keeps kind of popping up in my mind again and again is a little dance that the two of them do, 
uh, sort of the first it's, it's the, you know, iconic, it's, it's the poster of the movie for gosh sake. Um, when, when they're both on, you know, sort of the, the hilltop and they, they do the little dance and he kicks the dirt on her and, and all that. It's just, it's just infectiously mm-hmm. fun. Um, it's, com- it's completely classic and it is, uh, the, the most singing in the rain of any of the, yeah. the, the parts of this film. Fantastic. I have more to say about this later so yeah. we can move on. Okay. Well, why don't you tell us about your number four? Oh, it's rules don't apply. Oh, so you, you chide me. You for chide putting, me for putting it as low as 10. Okay. I you were so far off. <laughs> oh my God. A movie that I expected not to like, uh, from the second that I bought the only ticket for the screening. <laughs> and I, I left thinking that was a weird movie. And every single day since it's gotten better in my mind and I it can't just, wait to buy a copy and watch it again. It just bores itself into your mind. Yeah. I think I looked it up just the other day. I think it's coming out in February on Blu-ray and Durant and whatnot. Can, can um, we drop this episode again? Because <laughs> no one it's, listened to it and it no, was fantastic. No one listened to it. And I think it, honestly, I think it's one of the best episodes we've, we did all year. Um, it, you know, rules, rules don't apply. And McCabe and Mrs. Miller, uh, two films that are not like extremely popular. I know McCabe and Miss Miller has, you know, it's, it's following, but no, the, the numbers were real low on it. And that kind of disappoints me because both of those movies were a lot of fun and really great and made me completely reconsider Warren Beatty. Actually, Chris, we should have Hunter on in about a year to do this as a war crimes and do another rules don't apply <laughs> episode. I have so much more to say about it. The more I think about it, the more absurd half of that film is. And I love it. If they release Warren Beatty's director's cut, I will a thousand percent. Oh, Re- yes. Review rules don't apply. Yes, it can only go up. It can only go up. What about you, Chris? Uh, coming in at number four is a movie that I understand you misunderstood, and that is Yorgos Lanthimos's The Lobster, starring Colin Farrell and uh, a whole bunch of other little little bits by you know Ben Whishaw and John C. Riley and um, and Rachel Weisz. I wouldn't so much say I didn't like it because I didn't understand it. I would say that I properly assessed the film for the. <laughs> No, I, I I didn't know it was a comedy and it didn't it, it would have landed about oh seventeenth on my list for this year. Okay. Of of what? Seventeen? Uh nineteen. Uh, okay. twenty. Uh and and the last two in that list are both uh, Chris Pratt movies. <laughs> it's a rough year for Chris Pratt. Okay. Um no, I I adore this. Honestly, the fact that it's at number four is a little surprising. Like if you would have asked me at the beginning of the year, I would have thought this was just in anticipation gonna be my number one. Um but uh, so much, so much that I enjoyed about it. I think, um, you know, it's, I think I may have said this on on the uh, review of the film, but somebody should have given Colin Farrell's Potbelly a supporting actor nomination um, because it's just it's fantastic. This was a great year for uh, actors who just sort of let themselves go and have Potbellies being, uh, you know, Colin Farrell and, of course, Russell Crowe in the aforementioned Nice Guys. Oh, man. Nice Guys was so good. Uh, I don't have anything to say about The Lobster, so Nice Guys was so good. <laughs> uh, I, and for The Lobster, I'll just say it is currently streaming on Amazon Prime, so if you haven't seen it, uh, check it out. Uh, it's And just know that it, it is a dark comedy, and there is a there is a thing that happens about halfway through that if, uh, if you've been going down ha-ha lane and it uh, makes you reassess everything, that's, that's all right. That's sort of Lanthimos's... Uh, uh, sort of jolly trickster humor. Um, so, Jake, what do you have at number three? Well, I have been studying at the School of Rock, and I am putting Hacksaw Ridge at my number three. Really? Uh, a film that you did not see, but I liked quite a bit. Uh, I'm also a big uh, Mel Gibson directorial fan. 
Um, You know, the more I reassess it, the more I realize I am. There's just something like I never feel like I need to see a Mel Gibson movie. And then I do. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this guy's like he's better than like I always think he's think of him as like Kevin Costner. If you stopped me on the street and told me to list my favorite 30 directors uh, as people are wont to do often, I get stopped <laughs> right. and, and told to list my favorite 30 directors. I wouldn't even remember Mel Gibson as one of them. And then mm-hmm. every time I watch one of his films, I'm like, I liked Apocalypto. Man, I liked Braveheart. Hacksaw mm-hmm. Ridge was great. Like, I really love those films. And this was great. And uh, I was really surprised by a lot of the performances. Didn't love Vince Vaughn, but I thought everybody else did great. And it did a great job of mixing some stuff in at the end that I don't want to spoil. Uh, For you, Chris, because you should go and see it. But if you've seen it, you'll know what I'm talking about. And I thought it was a very strong movie. Not perfect, or it could have went a little higher, but a very strong film. Let me ask you this. How is Garfield? Because I feel like I haven't enjoyed him in a role. Like, I I really liked him in Social Network. I really liked him in uh, Never Let Me Go. But it's been about, I don't know, like eight years since he's been in a movie that I was like, yeah, that guy was pretty great. He won me over because that's the one thing had me nervous going into it. I was like, I don't know how he's going to do or if I can possibly what I liked him. I thought I thought he did a, a great job at uh, at embodying Doss and 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 making him the likable character who stuck to his beliefs and making that a believable thing. I really liked it. OK, well, maybe it's still in theaters. Maybe maybe I have to see it before. Before the Oscars, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I I, I think it's going to get a Best Picture nomination. That's that's what I, I think, and then you'll have you'll have to see to make make your decision. Yeah, I will say. Let me let me say this real quick. I will recommend the uh, the Hollywood Reporter every year does sort of roundtables with people of so with directors. Right now, they have the director and cinematographer uh, videos up. Generally, they also do actors, actresses, that sort of thing. Uh, the one with directors is worth watching just for Mel Gibson being kind of crazy, energetic Mel Gibson. Um, and that, that alone made me like reassess, like maybe, maybe I do want to see this movie. He can pull off only kind of crazy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's, it's possible. Quick, quick aside. Uh, uh, I think crazy directors make the best films. Crazy people make the best films. See Tarantino, see Mel Gibson. And when Mel Gibson is crazy, his movies are crazy and the product, the product of a crazy mind. And that is why you must see every one of his films. Because he's crazy. Well, I did not see your number three, but I did see my number three. And it is Park Chan-wook's The Handmaiden. Um, And I don't even know where to start with this movie. It is is a, I think, two and a half hours. Like, it it flew by. Yeah, about two and a half hours um, of a sort of, it's a Hitchcockian, um, heist movie, but it's also this really like bizarre dark comedy and also a touching love story. And it all takes place in, uh, I believe the thirties in Japanese occupied Korea. And there's so much going on. I mean, if you, if you are familiar with Park Chan-wook's, uh, films and you, you enjoy his aesthetic, I think, I think you're really going to dig this. If, uh, either he's put you off before you're not familiar with this stuff being, uh, you know, Old boy, um, I'm a cyborg, but it's okay. Uh, Stoker, which was actually a remake of a Hitchcock film. Um, maybe this is not the f- best thing to kind of start with, but um, so much going on in this movie. I I cannot wait to revisit this, and I can't wait to visit it for the first time. Well, I I I kind of envy you. I also kind of I I apologize if you watch this with. 
your girlfriend Chelsea and she says, what the hell did you just make me watch? It is, it is a weird movie, but it is like, he does, he is so like, it's another one of those, like I said, with, uh, Robert, Robert Eggers, um, I think he accomplished everything he set out to accomplish. I think Park Chan-wook does the same thing here. It's like, it is bizarre, but he keeps everything contained and afloat and all these, all these crazy plates that he is spinning, he keeps them up and, uh, it's a marvel just to just to take in. I can get Chelsea to watch pretty much anything by saying Chris said this is a good movie, but you lost all that rope when we watched The Lobster. <laughs> all of the rope is gone. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if this is going to be the one that, that regains her faith, but we will see what happens. Well, we'll have to throw some other ones in there before then. Just just get, give us some toss ups, please. <laughs> OK, what do you got at number two, Jake? All right. This is a, a, a little mainstream for what I would usually pick, but. It's Captain America Civil War. Nice. I think it's one of the best superhero films of the past. How many years has it been since Flash Gordon? <laughs> no, this is this is my favorite Marvel movie. This and rules don't apply. Just edged it off my list. And it, it would have been one that I would have ranked a, probably a little lower in other years. But 2016 in particular, the way the country kind of all turned on themselves. This was the movie for this year. <laughs> We we civil warred in real life, and uh, and team captain, team captain, man, team team cat. I I disagree, but that's okay. Oh my! I mean, for for one thing, Iron Man had all the cooler guys with him. Wrong, not true. Like Hawkeye, nasty woman. Hawkeye, nasty woman. Uh, no, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. But the captain was right. Captain America was right. I think they were both right. And I think that's the point. Like it's, and that's, that's, that's what's like, what I really enjoyed about it is that there is no absolute right. There is, well, it kind of blends and that's, they were both right, except for Iron Man also, uh, but you are, you are, you are right in that it builds the case for whatever perspective you have when you watch the film, uh, you can buy into either side and it's the best Marvel villain, so to speak. The villain isn't the actual villain in the film. The villain is either, depending on your perspective, Captain America or Iron Man. And just fantastic. One of the, not only one of the best superhero movies, but one of the most appropriate for our time movies. Yeah. It nailed it. So what, uh, what about you, Chris? Your number two film is... My number two film was my number one film for a very, very long time. And it's uh, it's a film that I actually I struggled with deciding whether or not I could even put it on my list. But it did premiere at Sundance and um, it's it has I don't know if it's been nominated for anything, but I know it was on the short list for Oscars. I guess Oscar nominations aren't out yet. Um, and that is O.J. Made in America, directed by Ezra Edelman. This is a nearly eight hour documentary. And, and so that, that's why I struggled with, you know, what do I do with it? It's all, I think it's all now streaming on Hulu. Correct. Because I just watched it on Hulu. In, in three parts. Um, and it's just, it's so complex. I mean, it, it's difficult to compare it to other documentaries because it is so long. And so it's able to get really sink its teeth into stuff. I mean, when I watched this, uh, my, I, I was watching it sporadically over like, I was, I was sick for a few days and I, I think on the weekend, uh, my wife watched, you know, maybe an hour and a half of, I think the first episode or the first part of it. And she was like, are you said this is about OJ Simpson? Are you sure? <laughs> are you sure this isn't like, because it's, it's about, it is about OJ Simpson, but it's using OJ Simpson as a frame for, um, America's sort of relationship to race, but also more specifically about, um, 
the relationship between minorities and police in Southern California and all of these. I mean, there's there's a real sort of poetic, uh, almost Shakespearean tragedy to the trajectory of O.J. Um, there's also just a in the in the final part, the weirdest twist that I I, I knew a little bit about sort of where things went with, with OJ, but not entirely. And it's just like, there are so many things in that, that last like hour and a half or so that are just like, what the hell was like, how did, how did we end up here? Um, really remarkable stuff. This documentary did the thing that every documentary wants to do, which is it told its story, but its story was able to tell a story about, America or the world or whatever, but in this one, it's it, it told a story about our country and the things that happened in our country mm-hmm. over about forty years and how we we basically grew up with OJ. He he helped in, introduce us to African Americans uh, in in endorsements and sports and all of that, and then our insatiable twenty four hour media cycle, race, police violence. It it was appropriate for its time it was appropriate for our time it told this giant story through such a small lens but you could see how it pertained to the whole country and and to so much more than what they were talking about and mix that with excellent production fantastic interviews and a director who let footage that he had just complement the stories that the interviewees were telling without mangling them together to tell his own story he just let Ron Chip talk and show yeah. things that supported or disproved, depending on who was talking. But for the most part, just let them tell their story. Yeah. It, and in, in that case, it kind of felt like the Thin Blue Line, the uh, Errol Morris movie, where it just sort of like it becomes so evident as you're watching. And and it also like I think the fact that the OJ trial, everyone knows the OJ trial actually worked to his benefit here because he, I mean, he spends a good amount of time on it, but you also, you don't get to it until like five or six hours in. And so uh, maybe it's four or five hours in, but get several hours in. And um, it's, it, it all, you know, it acts as a frame for this bigger thing that he wanted to explore. Um, I, I will say, one, I will say one more thing about it. We are young and we were probably eight or so when the OJ trial happened. Yeah. My dad, who when he was young, went to the book fair at school and bought an OJ Simpson poster when he, when he put like, you know, he really went through the whole thing. He watched and said it was good. There was some stuff he hadn't heard, but he lived all of it. it yeah. Not a lot of it was news to him. And yeah. so for me, seeing all of that and putting it all in perspective at once is one thing, but maybe if, if you lived through it all, you watched the trial 200 days on court TV. Maybe it's, maybe it's not as powerful as it is to me and you. Well, but it's and that that's what I think, though, when I say it's speaking to multiple things, like I, I think that um, that's that's the thing that's remarkable about it. It's about the OJ trial. It's about OJ Simpson, but it's it's so much more. Um, but yeah, remarkable stuff was my number one, but just just got edged out. Um, Jake, what is your number one of 2016? Um, I think if you listen to the podcast, you probably know it's La La Land. La La Land was fantastic. It was amazing. If you want to know everything I have to say about it, go back and listen to the La La Land episode. It's, this would just be me gushing for 15 more minutes. I know Chris <laughs> is going to cut me off. It, 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 ever since I've seen it, all I've thought about is, when can I go back and see this again? Should I go yeah. see it in IMAX? Should I wait until it's nominated for the Oscars and see it with all the other films again? Should I just go and see it now and then again in a couple months? Like, it, it stuck the ending in a way that 
no movie has in a very long time. Mm-hmm. And it was it was just fantastic and magical. And uh, it, it would have been ranked even higher than number one had it not had that opening sequence. And I think the opening sequence was... But, but that is my one one thing that I'll, I'll concede on the movie is I didn't think that was very good. All right. Well, um, that's actually a pretty good segue to my number one, because I think a lot of what you said applies to my feelings about this film. And that is Moonlight by director Barry Jenkins. Um, it's... It's like I I cannot stop thinking about when can I see this movie again, and it's been out it's been out a little longer um, than the La La Land, and still playing at at least one or two theaters here in Tulsa. So if I can, I would love to get out. I I don't know if I'm going to be able to, but I'd love to get out and see it again. Um, I I like you said with La La Land, I think it sticks the landing so hard, so and and in an unconventional way or in a way mm-hmm. that is much more difficult than what you typically see. Um, I know we split on this movie a bit. Um, but it is, I've, I've labeled a few of these films that I've, I've been listing as sort of perfect films, the, the absolute perfect sort of execution of what the director set out to do. I think Moonlight is above and beyond, um, all the others though, in, in doing that Jenkins from everything from like the cinematography, just beautifully, gorgeously, um, sort of lays out exactly the feeling that, that he wants these, these purples and blues across this, um, the skin is just gorgeous. The, uh, the score, the soundtrack as well, the acting, the acting by three, you know, three people playing the same character and just remarkable stuff. The, the type of movie that, uh, on the surface, you know, say, Oh, it's about a, it's a coming of age movie about a gay black kid growing up in the, in the hood in uh, Miami. That seems like Oscar bait. That seems like a, a very cheap. It's sort of like, it, it's sort of like, uh, was it last year, two years ago with uh, spotlight? Um, it's a type of movie that like on paper shouldn't, should not be as good as it is, but it's but, just like, but just like spotlight, incredible. when you watch it, you don't feel Oscar bait at all. Yes. And that, and that's what I mean by that. Is it like on paper, it seems like Oscar bait, but when you experience it, it's like, Oh, somebody, somebody actually like, took an idea that could be that and expanded it in a, in a very loving and delicate way. And that's, that's what I love about it. Still, when I think back on it, my, the most, one of the most unjustified, one of the most unjustified ways to criticize a movie in my mind is when you say, I wish it would have been something different than what the filmmaker intended it to be. And I'm guilty of it all the damn time. But I, I wish it were a movie about Juan and little and little's mom and the triangle between those three. I loved that so much that even though the rest of it was good, I was like, oh, I wanted more of that. That was yeah. really good. Well, and, and that's a, but I think that is a testament to the storytelling that he has here is like he has these little, these small characters that come in and out that you, you get so attached to them that mm-hmm. when, when they go, you want more of them. Um, yeah, just remarkable stuff. Uh, Barry Jenkins, I, I have no idea if he has anything planned for the future or what, but like, uh, definitely one that I'm going to be looking out for, for, years and years to come with, with what he's got coming. And Jake, those are our top 10 films of 2016. But before we wrap up here, we actually have one more person here from one more voicemail of input of someone's favorite film of 2016. And it's a familiar voice this time. Hey, Midnight Warriors, this is Hunter. And I just want to apologize that I was not able to make it for the roundup episode. But the reason being is that I don't really think see the need to do a top 10 because really it's, there's just top one, top one film. In fact, it's top one through 10. It takes up all spaces. And of course we know that film 
is Shin Godzilla from Japan. Um, not only is it a vibrant, fast-paced film with incredible editing, wonderful storytelling, very funny satire. It's just a, a whole lot of fun. A fantastic Godzilla movie. One of the best. And I can't recommend it highly enough. In fact, I'm not going to continue talking about it right now. I'm going to stop right here because the more I talk about it, the less time you spend watching it. So go watch that right away. All right. Well, there's Hunter's favorite pick of the year, Shin Godzilla, a movie I still haven't uh, caught up with yet. I did see it, and I saw Moonlight as well. Neither made my top 10. But if you want to know where they did land in my list of the best of 2016, you can find both my and Chris's list on Letterboxd. Yeah, I'll link to these in the show notes. I will also throw up a link to another annual letterbox list that I compile each year. And that is my top discoveries of 2016. Um, these are films that from years prior, uh, that I have finally caught up with. So this could be from 2015 on back to, you know, 1902 or whatever, what have you, but no 1901 films. Those are no, right out. No 1901 films. They they're disqualified. Um, and so this is, this is actually the list that I kind of enjoy more putting together more because it's, it's not having to, you know, rank things against each other. It's, it's, I, I, this one is just alphabetized, but, uh, a bunch of films that I, you know, either, either finally caught up with or just finally discovered, um, that I really enjoyed. So I will put that in the show notes as well. Oh, so where does Il Surpasso rank, Chris? Uh, it's not ranked Jake. I did catch up with Il Surpasso though. So it's number one. It's not ranked, Jake. It's tied for number one. I got it. So so what did we miss last year? And what are we totally wrong about? Tell us at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or if email isn't your thing, we'd still love to hear from you. Unless you're trying to tell us that we are wrong about rules don't apply, then we don't want to hear from you. Uh, But you can ring that bright red telephone and leave us a voicemail at 484-424-6362. That's 484-4CINEMA. Stick around. We'll be back after the break with a recap of week eight of the Midnight Warrior Fantasy Movie League and the second annual Blimpy Awards. I guess we are not going back. Oh, I mean, can you talk to the mirror? And I guess you don't talk to me. too late for this whole throw in your favorite movies thing, but I'm going to make it really easy. It was uh, Rogue One for 2016, and it's going to be Star Wars Episode 8 for 2017. Simple as that. Okay, bye. 
A little bit more listener feedback there coming out of the break. That was listener Amy with her favorite film of 2016 and her most anticipated film of 2017, both uh, films from the Star Wars franchise, the never-ending franchises of Star Wars films. Um, We've had two calls about uh, Rogue One. I was not on the train for this one, but uh, I guess several Midnight Warriors were. I wasn't even in the theater for this one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well but we we agree with her at least with uh the new star wars movie which a little glimpse behind the curtain we now know the uh the title of that film we did not in the first opening segment it is the last jedi um so and the that's, last jedi <laughs> and, and it's in uh, red too just so you know it is in red and i i actually like this hunter's hunter's a little pessimistic on it but uh, yeah, as as we said at the at the top of the show, we are really looking forward to it. Amy is as well. And a little known fact, Jake, Amy is actually in our fantasy movie league. So what do you say we get into our recap of last week's FML? I thought she sounded like a scruffy looking nerf herder. Actually, Jake, that's another listener. She, I believe, is actually Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Cineplex, another movie reference. And actually, maybe even a reference to your singing in the voice of Mad Max, what, a year, year and a half ago. Oh, I thought Tom Hardy did that. I have I have no recollection of doing that myself. <laughs> and now it's time for the Midnight Warrior Fantasy Movie League recap. Each week, Chris and I compete with you, the listeners, in a fantasy sports-style game to best spend a thousand imaginary bucks to fill a virtual eight-screen cineplex with real-world movies, where the weekend box office determines the winner. If you aren't already playing along, it's never too late to join. Visit wsampod.com slash league to sign up and get all the details. Let's dive into our recap of award season week eight, where Triple X, the return of Xander Cage, and M. Night Shyamalan's psycho horror split face off as the big budget choices. It looked to be a close race until Friday morning when the Thursday night preview numbers were announced. Split did two million in gross on Thursday alone, setting it up for a very strong weekend. But even the most ardent Shyamalan defenders have to be blown away by this $40 million opening. Crushing all contenders and making 112000 per bucks, it was the runaway winner for Best Performer, earning the $2 million per screen bonus that comes along with that title. Couple that domination with a strong second place showing from non-animated movie Monster Trucks, and you have one of the weirdest perfect cineplexes yet. Two screens of Split, three screens of Monster Trucks, and one screen of Sleepless. Okay, a couple things here, Jake. One... Uh, most ardent Shyamalan defenders. Who are these people? Secondly, you just mentioned that Monster Trucks is not animated, and I don't believe you. Okay, I kind of got my facts wrong in my article when I wrote it, because I definitely referred to it as a Pixar knockoff. It looked like it, based on the poster. I I assumed it was... It was like Monsters, Inc. meets Cars or something. Something. Or Monsters vs. Aliens meets Cars is what I was thinking, actually, I believe. It, it wasn't. It was closer to, like, Transformers. I, I watched the trailer... And wait, wait, wait. They went as far as making a trailer for this fake movie. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know what happens when you get into this and like you buy a ticket to monster trucks and go in, but I assume, assume they show you rules don't apply. It's just Bjork laughing at you on the screen for two hours. No, that's how you get people to see rules don't apply. You just sell tickets <laughs> to monster trucks Wow. and lock the it's door. The, it's, lock the door. You will like this movie. <laughs> Anyway, for for our Midnight Warrior League, as always, OPC Where Art Thou won yet again. I, I, I say that, but this is only her second outright win of the season. 
But more importantly, she has finally taken the lead from School of Rock with over $800 million on the season. But with all that knowledge and experience, I bet she still doesn't know what to do with this week's new releases. You have Resident Evil, the final chapter, Gold, and another fake movie, A Dog's Purpose. They all dropped this week, along with the return of Manchester by the Sea and Moana. So I I take that back. I I know she knows what to do with one of these. Chris, do you think anybody in our league is going to play A Dog's Purpose this week? Uh, Somebody will. Hunter? Somebody will. On eight screens? I think think more people will play A Dog's Purpose than played Bye Bye Man. Yeah, and Bye Bye Man just did so well. And then then said Bye Bye. It's, It's no longer on the list. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think that was just like the uh, appetizer for split. Apparently, I guess so. I don't know. Um, now this uh, this week, I I have even less of an, of an idea what I'm going to do. The only thing I know I'm not going to play is gold. Definitely not playing gold. Gold because you don't even want to see it, or gold because you don't think it's going to make money. Both. Um, I think gold is going to do worse than rules don't apply. This episode brought to you by rules don't apply. <laughs> um, the. I think watching the trailer for Gold and watching the trailer for The Founder, they don't feel like they're that different, but I really want to see The Founder and Gold left me with nothing. I don't know, man. Uh, the Founder I've given up on because that trailer came out like a year ago. Uh, I I think I read it was slated for like award season 2015 and got pushed back and pushed back and pushed back and finally dropped. That sounds about right. But as anyone in our chat this week knows, I love Michael Keaton. And I'll see him in pretty much anything. Under, <laughs> underrated masterpiece. Um, the other guys with Will Ferrell and uh, Mark Wahlberg. Michael Keaton's in that movie? Have you not seen that movie, Chris? No, I haven't seen that movie. If I knew Michael Keaton was in it, I would have seen it sooner. Masterpiece is an overstatement, but that really is what triggered his resurgence in my mind. Okay. That was that was his, well, resurgence is maybe a strong term, but I was going to say that was his uh, NPH appearing in uh, Harold and Kumar go to white castle a, a little bit yeah but not to that extent that that took him from a nobody to a superstar no it took him from doogie hauser yeah but i mean he was he was it, literally playing nph former child star in that movie he he was but at that point he was effectively a nobody because it had been long enough that the what have you done for me lately has worn off uh-huh. and just relaunch relaunched the career every child star needs to appear as themselves in a herald and kumar movie okay jake so what are you gonna play this week oh man i I don't even know i I think i'm just gonna go with as many triple x's as i can play and then probably like two two screens of the founder or something like that i mean after last week you could probably just play all triple x's and leave the leave the rest blank apparently just burn it down it doesn't matter how many screens you leave blank now uh i think i'll play two splits and six blanks that seems like a right strategy no jake Jake, you can play. So last week, two blank screens was the like the the perfect Cineplex had two blank screens, right? You can play yes. six triple X's. I, but there's still money left to show other things, Chris. It, it would be like if I played seven and it was like uh, blanked no. out. No, 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 no. Trust me. Just play six triple X's. If I'm playing six of anything, it's a dog's purpose. <laughs> Because after the first one showed, it it got reincarnated as the second one, but only six times because everybody knows like a cat has nine lives and a dog has six. (laughs) What? Okay. So it sounds, it sounds like you don't know what you're playing this week. So it's uh, so early that I, I I mean, to be honest, I, 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 especially for newer listeners every week I go and I check 
theater counts and whatnot when they're released on Thursday. And that's really when you can start putting together a good lineup. And until then, you just kind of got to set something in case you go completely a wall and forget what you're doing. Yeah. So I guess this is a, this is a week where, where you got to say, just check the FML recap on the website, see what Jake has, has to say there because it'll, he will have had a couple more days to digest, and then we'll we'll see what happens. And if you got a hot take on the next perfect Cineplex, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at WSAM Pod. All right, Midnight Warriors, now it is time for the second annual Blimpy Awards. Now, I know all of you have just been giddy with anticipation to see what we're going to pick this year, what new categories we've invented, what old ones we're bringing back. So let's just dive right in. Uh, First up, we've got a brand new category, and it is called the This Ain't Over Award. This is the award that we are giving to the film with the best post-credits sequence. Uh, Jake, who are you giving your this ain't over award too. Well, I would give my all time. This ain't over award to Ferris Bueller's day off with just the best post credits sequence of all time. And, and a post credits sequence that was ahead of its time as well. Oh, Oh, for sure. Uh, and, and still awesome. Still so cool to this day. Uh, and since I can't give it to that, I'm going to give it to the Deadpool after credits where it is a straight ripoff of that same exact thing. What are you doing here? Go home. But with the with a little bit of Deadpool wit mixed in there. How about you, Chris? Uh, I'm going to go with Everybody Wants Some, which is a movie that uh, we didn't review on the show, didn't get much love, but I really enjoyed. Just didn't quite make my top 10 list. And uh, the kind of post credits, or I think it's actually going over the credits sequence of uh, basically the entire baseball team doing a Rapper's Delight style rap um, as the camera kind of floats through this bar. Wait, uh, this is a baseball movie? You didn't know this? No. Yeah, you need to see this. Yeah, I'm down. I'm yeah, down for like, any baseball. Movie. Like it's it's the first week of school or the first week at school for uh, these college baseball players, 1980. And it's like the whole thing is chronicled in like, I think, hours or days leading up to the first day of class. Um, it's great. You would love this. I, I was a little surprised that you hadn't seen it. Uh, the, the trailer, the trailer was bad. But can, can, can I really rad recommendate myself? <laughs> recommendate. Yes. Can I really rad recommend this self to myself this week? <laughs> you you sure can. Please do. But that in it's English. Great. Imagine I had said that right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Coming up next is an award that is coming back. It is the Wilhelm Award. And this is an award for our favorite guilty pleasure of the year. Jake, since you went first last time, I'll go ahead and start this one. And mine goes to Jason Bourne. A what is it? Yeah, the fourth Matt Damon-led movie about the character Jason Bourne. Um, Not a perfect film, but it is exactly what it sets out to be. And in a a year where a lot of these sort of tentpole blockbusters and sequels and everything were fairly disappointing, um, I really enjoyed Jason Bourne. It was – I mean – it was it was enjoyable. It was fun. It was it had me literally like on the edge of my seat, gripping the the uh, arms of my chair. It was enjoyable. I would give my favorite guilty pleasure to rules don't apply, except I have no guilt about liking that film. It's fantastic. <laughs> Go and watch it. My favorite guilty pleasure of the year was pop star. Never stop. Never stopping. Also, the best subtitle of the year. Just saying it is. 
It is. Uh, although it was a very bad year for subtitles, which is why we got rid of the, uh, for this year at least, we got rid of the Electric Boogaloo Award. But it probably would have won it, hands uh, down. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Uh, so up next, we have the Didn't See That Coming Award, which is the, the best surprise of the year. Uh, Chris, do you want to go first on this one? Sure. Um, my biggest surprise of the year was actually Captain America Civil War. Now, I generally like the Marvel movies, but there hasn't been a Marvel movie that I've really loved up until Captain America Civil War. And I know that's contrary to how some people feel about, about the series. I know I know a few people who uh, thought it was one of the worst of the series. They are wrong. Those people are but wrong. That, but that's fine. Um, yeah, just I, I think it's, it's the type of thing that I want more Marvel movies like this because it definitely is not the type of film. It couldn't have been the first uh, Marvel film out of the gate. It's building on what it's been doing with making all these. So if they're going to continue to make them, I want to see more stuff like this. Um, really, really enjoyable stuff. Um, and a, and a really rewatchable. That's another thing is I don't find many Marvel movies. I want to revisit. I revisited this one, I think twice now, and it holds up. If, if all the Marvel movies are popcorn, this is like that gourmet popcorn place in the mall where you can get like the Snickers chocolate covered, banana caramel <laughs> i don't know if you guys have them down there we can get boiled crawfish popcorn down here no we we do not have any boiled you, crawfish you don't have like a popology that that um, you guys are missing out man no we we do have we we do have a i think it's called like premier popcorn that does and maybe they do i haven't had like i've only had their you know their butter and caramel and i know they do some some other stuff but uh maybe why are we not why are we not partnering with them to 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 recommend a a popcorn pairing a popcorn pairing that's a that's a great question (laughs) (laughs) all right but my biggest surprise of the year was oj made in america i just i just didn't know how i was going to watch an eight-hour documentary yeah i it it was just too daunting sitting out there but chris had said it was really good so uh, and I hadn't seen the lobster yet. And so I trusted him and watched OJ made in America and it knocked my socks off as we talked about. Yeah. And I wonder if this is a movie that had come out later in the year, if you wouldn't have gotten to it, because I've been hounding you on this for, it was probably, it was close to six months, I bet. Yeah. And, and when you first told me, I was like, I'm not watching that Cuba Gooding show. It's not <laughs> happening. I didn't know. And when I started it, I was like, oh, does this start as a documentary and then turn into Cuba Gooding? It have didn't. You seen, have you seen the montage of David Schwimmer just saying juice on the uh, uh, People versus, versus O.J. Simpson? No, who is Schwimmer? Uh, I, uh, I don't know. Kardashian, maybe? Oh, OK. Just well, but one of the one of the lawyers. Yeah, one of the lawyer, lawyers, but oh, he man. like it's it's just him go juice, juice, juice. It's kind of like the it's wow, like, wow, 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 juice. Yeah, exactly. Did, did you kill Nicole? Juice, man, man, that's wow, that's just incredible. Man, the glove didn't fit, and you you did the crime. That's just that's that's really great, man. Awesome, wow. Uh, all right, Jake. Um, since you actually came up with the name for this next award, I will give you the honor of uh, kind of presenting it. Oh, for the award for best poster, the Saul yes. about that bass uh, bass award. Yes. Oh, it's all yes. about that bass. It's all about that bass. Um, Chris, you should go first on this one. Okay, I I will. Well, I first I should say that I think honestly the best uh, poster of the year is probably Moonlight. It's Moonlight. Um, it's without a doubt. It's Moonlight. I I can't remember the last time I've seen a poster that so precisely like sets up exactly what a movie feels like. 
but somehow this this moonlight poster does and but it's there's, completely like new and unique and iconic and everything you want yeah it, it's a remarkable poster and, and very simple very effective and i think actually a24 had just really good posters across the board this year uh but my favorite is i'm actually going to give to a movie i didn't see but a poster that i would still hang up on my wall because it's kind of incredible and it's for it's i don't think this is the official poster but they did they did a series of sort of i don't even know what you call them just promotional posters i guess uh for tyler perry's boo a medea halloween <laughs> um, this one this one is a riff on the original john carpenter halloween poster uh but it says hurlerween i guess is how medea would say hey, that hurlerween Halloween, Halloween, yeah, and it says the night she came home. Um, it's I'll uh, I'll put this I'll put this in the show notes because you got to see it. It's a uh, it's a really it's a really nice looking poster, well designed. This this is also my pick is also one that wasn't like the the prime poster for the film. It it is the uh, um the Deadpool um campaign where they did a bunch of rom com posters for it to convince oh, yeah. you know girlfriends to go and see it or whatever, and it's right. just straight up romantic comedy posters for Deadpool. Yeah, those uh, are pretty good. Uh, I, I just like that they were thinking outside of the box on advertising their film and trusting trusting the audience to uh, to get the joke. And yeah, I mean, I think that that's everything about Deadpool. It's and it's it's amazing that because I I feel like Edgar Wright a few years ago, several years ago now, with Scott Pilgrim was doing very similar things, and for some reason that movie didn't make any money. Yeah, no, nobody got it. But now, with a character like Deadpool, everybody wanted to see it. Yeah. All right. Uh, coming up next, we've got our award for Best Supporting Actor, and we are calling this our Stumpy Award. Jake, would you like to explain the the title of this award? Uh, no, I'm not going to explain this award. I, I want a listener to to tell us why we named this the Stumpy Award. That's our little our little side quest for tonight. Figure out why it, oh, why okay. Best Supporting Actor is called the Stumpy Award. Fair enough. Uh, I will I will go first on this one. Okay. I uh, am going back to what the more I think about it was one of my favorite movies of the year. Rules don't apply. No, it's not rules don't apply this time. <laughs> it's nice guys. And I'm giving Angry Rice, I think is how you say her name, who played yeah. Holly March, uh, Ryan Gosling's daughter in the film, did yeah. a fantastic job. Just just n- knocked my socks off. Yeah, she was very good. And I think I think actually all the kids in that movie from um, I forget the tie something that the kid in the very beginning who kind of finds the porno mm-hmm. mag under his dad's uh, from from him to the, the kid on the bike who like is probably my favorite part of that entire movie uh, when then they go to the burn down house. They're all they're all really good. Like Shane Black is really good with kids. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you say it's just great direction or part of it is also the great writing. And it's almost like the dialogue. It wasn't like kids dialogue. It was just great yeah. dialogue. It's it's almost as if. It's almost as if Shane Black is actually an auteur. Maybe, maybe just uh, he knows great writing is what makes great movies. He he writes well. He he surprisingly directs well. And I I only say surprisingly because he is a career writer, and um, it all just it all comes together in a very obvious vision. I, I really um, want to see what he does next. I know I didn't get to review this one on the podcast. Really loved it. Can't wait to see what comes next. Uh, the Predator. He is, he really? is, yeah, he's doing a Predator movie, which, uh, I don't know if you know this, but Shane Black is actually in the original Predator. Really? <laughs> yeah, he is. 
and, and wrote some of his own lines. I believe we, you should go back and listen to our war crimes, uh, review of it because I think, I think we, we talk on that. Talk about that. So he's like a, like a mail carry fisher. (laughs) Yeah. A little, a little bit, maybe. I mean, he's, he's very young at that point. Yeah. Uh, my stumpy award I am giving to, this is a more unconventional pick than yours. I'm giving it to the goat black Phillip because, uh, that is a trifling goat. <laughs> it's uh, not a lot of supporting actors have that many songs sung about them in a film. That's true. That's true. And, and honestly, I could have given it to those children as well. It was. It, I guess it was just a really good year for child actors. Uh, but no, Black Phillip is is terrifying. And it's uh, I. You know, they say never work with children, never work with dogs. Um, I imagine children and goats is even worse. Yeah, and they're both. They're both in this film. Yeah, and and they also say never work with Matthew Broderick, and he did great in Rules Don't Apply. I, I don't know if people say that, but I just wanted to make sure I gave him a shout out for doing a great job with his little bit part. Man, he did good. That movie was great. When can we watch that again? Well, uh, Jake, I think that's a great transition to our next award, which is the Armand White Award, which is the award for the film in which our opinions differ f- in general from the critical or public consensus. Okay, okay. Um, what, what did you pick for this one? Uh, well, Jake, uh, you, you've been name dropping this film quite a bit. Nice guys. Is it nice guys? It, it's not nice guys. This is my turn to name drop rules. Don't apply. Oh, wow. Okay. If there is nothing else that people get from this episode, uh, I hope they get that they should, they should actively seek out rules. Don't apply when it becomes available because it's not playing anywhere right now. Yeah. I, I guarantee it. I went in a, I went in a different direction and I picked uh, rules. Don't apply because just go oh. and watch rules. Don't apply. <laughs> Have you watched rules? Don't apply yet. Please go and watch rules. Don't apply. And and then listen to our review because I think it's actually a pretty good one. And it was a fun episode. I'm not even, I, I don't care if you listen to our review, watch rules. Don't apply, please <laughs> just watch it. Let me talk to you about this movie. All right, Jake. Well, that actually brings us to our very last award of the year. And this is a brand new one as well. But before we get to it, uh, we've actually got a voicemail from another familiar voice. All right, Midnight Warriors, it's Hunter here. And I wanted to go ahead and also provide you my Blimpy Awards. And I think after you hear these, you will agree that these are some top-notch choices, which are truly beyond uh, reproach or argument. First of all is the Grandma's Peach Tea Award. And for the second year in a row, the Grandma's Peach Tea Award goes to, what else? Lion and Kugel Summer Shandy. Now, I should know more than anybody that this tastes just like Grandma's Peach Tea, or at least I assume it's what Grandma's Peach Tea tastes like. I can't imagine it tasting any worse. And uh, it is particularly bad whenever you show it in succession. And finally, I would like to give the This Makes Me Itchy Award for the second year in a row to Chris Gallagher for his review of Rocky. After after listening to that a few times, his his opinion of Rocky is so off, so off by every objective measure. Every time I hear it, it just makes me itchy. So um, that's, that's all I've got for right now. But once again, thank you guys for uh, continuing to listen to us. And here's to another great year of film. Okay, so I'd first like to point out that he uh, he says for the second year in a row on both of those, these are both awards that uh, we have not had <laughs> in the past, but that's that's fine. I guess he's retroactively making me itchy two years in a row, uh, which is his, you know, it's his prerogative. That's that's a very Catesian thing to do. I, I like the, the That Made Me Itchy Award. Do you want to do a That Made Me Itchy? We, we should absolutely do a That Made Me Itchy Award. But before we do, uh, for those of you who don't know what Hunter is referencing there, um, we reviewed Rocky uh, a while back, and uh, 
Well, we disagreed quite a bit. Um, I, I don't so, even want to talk about this anymore. God, I, I, am I, I making you itchy right now? I just, I feel like when I explain like, oh, I, sometimes I'm on a podcast. Uh, the, the co-host is Chris. Don't listen to the Rocky episode or you won't listen to anything else. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just like the somebody poisoned the water hole. There, there's a snake in my boot. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if that applies, but, uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, you know, go, go back and listen to it. Uh, you will, you will definitely, you will definitely be angry at someone on the episode. Yeah, I imagine if you, have, you, any feelings, Chris, if you. you have any feelings about Rocky at all, it's just you. Um, okay, Jake. Well, let's, let's round out with this. Uh, that made me itchy award, the inaugural or for Hunter, the second annual, uh, what are you giving your that made me itchy award to well, this every, year? Every time you talk about itchy, I make you explain to me what itchy is because I've never looked at something or saw something. I thought, oh, that made me itchy mm-hmm. until I watched OJ Made in America and I got to part five or whatever it was when they showed OJ Simpson when he had his like his uh, knockoff of punked where he was yeah. pranking people and the show was called Juiced. Juiced. Yeah. And it, oh God. And it opened up with a rap song where he's like mm-hmm. surrounded by naked women and he's in like a pimp suit and like an Elvis. Mm-hmm. Ca- it made me itchy, Chris. That entire, that entire last act is really itchy. It's the, it's, it's also, itchy. also, I feel like juiced as a premise is a sweaty premise. <laughs> that, that whole premise is sweaty. <laughs> it, it, it is a, I can't believe it got greenlit. How is every episode of How Did This Get Made not just juiced? All right, it's week 15 of juiced. There actually is a really good This American Life story about juiced. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, uh, but my, so I'm, I'm glad you finally understand Itchy. I get it. Um, my, my That Made Me Itchy Award, I, I got to give to Suicide Squad. I've harped on this movie a lot about how much I, I hate it, but um, there's just... There's just so much to dislike and so much that just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, even, I mean, I know there are the defenders who say, oh, well, it's all, it's all in the edit. That's, that's the problem with it. I disagree. There's, there's no way it's all in the edit. Um, I, I am bad at what I do if, uh, I can't see through that. Uh, th- this, this entire movie is itchy. The, the just everything is, everything is bad and wrong and weird and it should have been a really fun enjoyable movie and none of it was i hated every single second of it i only saw the trailer but i hated every single (laughs) second of it it was so bad you know what the joker's missing face tattoos yeah and belly tattoos and a grill and yeah we could could spend a lot of time i'm a long time Zack snyder hater so to Mm. speak and well Zack snyder didn't do this one though but it, but he's kind of controlling that universe right now, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's weirdly the the overseer of everything. You're it, right. It just it's, even if he's not the one who did it, it just oozes Zack Snyder. And yeah, it 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 does it, it it's the type of thing where it's like on paper or in like a one off a one shot comic, it'd be like this could be maybe interesting. No, nope. And maybe and maybe nope. I'm just more of a Marvel fanboy, but. Like some of those extended DC characters, I just don't care about. Well, here's the thing: DC has generally really bad uh, heroes, and but Batman has a really great rogue gallery of villains. Um, these are mm-hmm. not all them. Um, <laughs> so there's that. It's like they and, couldn't and, afford to license stuff from their own universe. 
Well, it's not, it's not I quite know, that. I know. It's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's based on, it's based on a pre-existing. I know. Uh, you know, although, although these, I don't think these were all together in any form before this, but that's neither here nor there. Just don't see Suicide Squad, please. I'm it's, probably going to end up watching it at some point just to know oof, how bad it is. Oof. You, you know what you should watch instead of Suicide Squad right now, um, on HBO. Well, on HBO, you could watch Batman v Superman. Don't do that. Um, a bunch of the, like, what is it? Warner premiere animated studio, mm-hmm. uh, cartoons are on there. Okay. And I've, and, uh, I've been, been slowly going through them with the, with the kiddo. They're pretty great. Oh. They're pretty enjoyable. If you, if you like, uh, if you like Batman, you like, you know, it's kind of in the style of the animated series. It's not the voice actors from the animated series, but, uh, good stuff. Neil Patrick Harris plays, uh, Nightwing in uh, the last one that I watched I, I, under the Red Hood. Chris, how much money would have to go to charity for you to set up a Twitch where you just watch Suicide for 24 hours straight? Suicide Squad. A lot. A lot? A whole lot. It, I think like, that that would be some entertaining TV. Oh, boy. Just watching you watch Suicide I would, Squad I would and need, when it's over, I would need someone. Over. I would need someone there with me, though, that I could vent to. Uh, did, otherwise, did otherwise, Hunter hate it as much? No, Hunter, Hunter, as he said, I kind of dug it. Were his oh words, my. I think. How? I'm <laughs> usually really... team Hunter on everything. <laughs> I don't know. That's, don't that know. makes me itchy. That Hunter likes Suicide <laughs> Squad. Get, take it away from Juiced. That. The real crime here is Hunter liking <laughs> Suicide Squad. And I haven't seen the film, and I know that that's not right. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a, that's a good place to wrap up. Uh, Midnight Warriors, if you would like to nominate something for one of our uh, awards, or if you would like to invent a brand new one that we uh, introduce next year, email us at hello at warstartsmidnight.com with your ideas. Stick around for our really rad recommendations coming up next. Jake, it is really rad recommendation time again. We've been, of course, recapping 2016. Uh, what do you have to recommend this time? And is it something from 2016? Uh, yeah, I for sure for this episode, wanted to make sure I recommended something from last year. I wanted to go with something that maybe not a lot of people had saw or maybe even heard of and something I thought was really deserving of getting out there uh, and maybe sparking a conversation. Uh, so I went with uh, Warren Beatty's Rules Don't Apply. <laughs> Go and watch Rules Don't Apply. I, I, I mean, if you're this far in this episode, just pause the episode and find it. Well, that's going to actually be hard. Yeah. Because it's nowhere. Yeah. You just you just can't see it. And do not download. Do not take that money out of Warren Beatty's pocket. Do, don't do it. Don't, don't do, do it. it. Do not. Just, just 
So so rules don't apply is available nowhere <laughs> until until February or so when it's probably going to come out on DVD and Blu-ray, I assume. Is it going to be direct to Criterion or is it going to stop <laughs> with some No, you you're, you're going you're to have to double dip. You're going to have to double dip. Here, that here's, criteria here's is the good news. You're gonna, in about three years, you're going to see this in Walmart in like a $5 bin where it's two movies on one disc and the other one is like Dick Tracy or something. Or uh, or could is there what's is there a fourth movie that he's directed that's bizarre? Because Bullworth could also be in, oh, Bullworth. in, that, in that four pack. Yeah. I, I don't – I mean sh- really, really they could – they could throw shampoo in there. He didn't direct it, but it's a weird movie too. Hal Ashby shampoo. Look, you're gonna fall onto rules don't apply for a dollar one day. You're gonna get on eBay and you're gonna best offer this for thirty five cents, and the guy's gonna say sure. This is the best really right recommendation <laughs> ever, or at least since Dangerous Men. <laughs> Go and watch Rules Don't Apply. <laughs> rules Don't Apply was great. We're overhyping it way too much, but man, Rules Don't Apply was fun. I, I don't care. It, 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 my heart has been getting bigger and bigger for this movie, and I just can't wait to see it again. You got a heart on for it? I got a heart on. All right, Chris, what is your really rad recommendation? Uh, my really rad recommendation comes from my uh, Discoveries of 2016 list. So this is not a movie from last year, but it is a movie that I saw for the first time last year. And it is David O. Russell's 2015 film, Joy. Uh, this stars Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper and Rob De Niro, who I believe were all in Silver Linings Playbook. Uh, this movie was more or less panned across the board. And, uh, but you know, I saw it, I, I saw that it was on HBO. It's still on HBO right now. Um, and I said, you know, I generally like David. There's nothing that I've seen from David O. Russell that I didn't enjoy, even things that I don't think I'm going to enjoy, which is why I don't know why I haven't watched Silver Linings Playbook yet. Um, but I loved this movie. It's uh, unconventional and it's kind of weird. It's a it's probably a wavelength movie as well, um, but not in not in like a heady cerebral way, just in a the the pace and the economy of it is um, pretty incredible. And so that's, I, I think the thing that puts people off with it, or one of the things that puts people off is it moves at this pace that feels, uh, very unreal and very, uh, unrealistic, but, um, he's fully aware it's, it's another one of those, he knows what sort of film he's making. And I think he made the film that he absolutely set out to make it. It moves like a musical actually, in a lot of ways in the, the motion of the camera and the, in the. Uh, sort of the way the dialogue flows and everything, but there's not, you know, it is not a musical. Um, on HBO Go right now, you can also, I don't think you can rent it anywhere, but you can buy it digitally, uh, basically everywhere, or you could actually pick up the, uh, Blu ray with, uh, you know, digital copy for, I think, the same price that you could, uh, buy it digitally. But yeah, check it out on HBO. It's, uh, it's a fun movie that I, I really enjoyed and has stuck with me ever since. Can I, can I ask you, uh, is there an easier job in Hollywood than David O. Russell's casting director? Uh, Martin Scorsese's casting director? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess his is his is easy because he could just get anybody to work with him and he generally sticks with it. I mean, David O. Russell is like, okay, I'm going to just explain to you my vision for the film. I'm going to want, I got it. I got them already. They're all here. They're, they're, they live with you, David O. Russell. Noah Bombeck's casting director. Okay. Yeah. You might have that one. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, that is a wrap for another episode of War Starts at Midnight. Find us online at warstartsmidnight.com for show notes, fantasy movie league recaps, and more. Or say hello on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at WSAMPod. If you enjoy the show, rate and subscribe to it in iTunes or wherever you get the podcast. It'll help us grow the Midnight Warrior Clan, and it'll make you feel awesome. On the other hand, if you're the trolling type who simply hate listening through these credits, go ahead and tell us everything we got wrong at hello at warstartsmidnight.com. Or, if you're a narcissist, you can leave us a voicemail and see if we play it. Just ring that bright red telephone at 484-424-6362. The War Starts at Midnight theme song was produced by Justin Streck. And shout out to Generationals for the featured music on this week's show. Find out more at generationals.com. Join us and Hunter in another fortnight for our belated review of the latest Martin Scorsese film, Silence. Thanks for listening, folks. Say hello to my plane. I don't know if that's Spinoza or not. Uh, no, it's not. That's a uh, like Black Diamond or uh, Black Lemon. Yeah, no, Spinoza. It's it's the opening track on Heza. Yeah.